Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week, it's the return of our Americans in Action report. Uh, and what a roundup we've got. Checking my notes, we've got an underperforming goalkeeper, a second torn Achilles for an American striker, 29 minutes in the Premier League. Joe Lowry, are we sure oh, things are going man. well? <laughs> man, you warned me you were going to sandbag, and I still got depressed in that introduction. Um, to be honest, no, I'm not sure things are going well, but that's yeah. one of the main reasons, I think, why we're doing this show. Mm-hmm. So it's been a while since we've done a full in-depth Americans Abroad roundup, and we're not going to hit everybody here. And part of the reason for that and, and for the fact that it's been a while since we've done it is leading into the 2022 World Cup, there were a lot of questions, right? Are the young guys, the at that point, Pulisic, Adams, McKenney, Musa, Reyna, like, uh, who, who are they going to be? Like, are they going to develop into good starting caliber players for the U.S. men's national team that can lead this group out of a group stage? The answer was yes. Like, we mostly know what those guys are right now. Not that their games aren't evolving and improving in different ways, and not that it's worth, you know, it it is still worth checking in on those players from time to time. But uh, to me, Taylor, I'm guessing to you as well, the core feels mostly set, right? The Mm -hmm. interesting things as we near Nations League next month and Copa America this summer and the World Cup in 2026, the interesting things are, you know, one, is a, a wild card starter going to emerge from somewhere? And that is something that we're always watching for. And the other part of this, number two, is what does the depth look like? There was a huge drop-off from the starting group in 2022 to the backups. You know, Can that gap be narrowed by the time 2026 rolls around? And those are some of the things, along with transfer settings and all, all those other you know situational things, those are some of the things that we're watching especially close on, and, and I think that we're going to talk about some today. I think also for me, in terms of why we haven't done this episode, this particular type of episode in a while... I think there was just a little bit of burnout, and I feel like that is maybe the case for a lot of USMNT supporters, but I think after the 2022 World Cup and everything that happens with Gio and with Burhalter, and we have this sort of delay in who's going to be the next coach, that certainly doesn't help. I do also think it being a Winter World Cup that sort of we normally have this period to reset. There's a couple weeks off. Then we get the Premier League starting back up, and you're sort of back into a new season that we go straight into the rest of that season. Yeah. Then there's a break of sorts. Like It just it felt... A little bit discombobulated, a little bit uh, tiring. And I just think with the way we were talking about the U.S., the intensity of, of like micro-analyzing players, I just there's no point to doing that at this point in the cycle leading up to 2026. Now, as we get closer to Copa America kicking off, obviously, we're going to be looking increasingly um, intensely, I would say, at, at the player pool. And that's why we're starting to do it now. So I am really excited, even if we have some sort of underperforming players or some players that still have a point to prove just because it tells us where people are. We get to look at what they've done since last we spoke about them, how they've evolved, how they've adapted to new challenges or not adapted. And and, and I think I can feel my enthusiasm for the USMNT 
ticking back up. Joe, are you in a similar position or did yours never wane? Has your zeal for the USMNT always kept you warm, even in those cold Arizona nights? Um, most Mostly the second, but I will say, Taylor, whenever we're talking about this stuff, I always fall into the preview trap, right? I think I think everybody is prone to this. You research something. This is coming off of me writing you know, previews for every single team for backfield, which are, are going up now on, on the MLS side. Like I, I've been in preview mode and, and been getting excited about every single thing that I've been writing about as I've been writing about it. And the same comes in on the U.S. national team stuff, right? I watched Johnny Cardoso, and I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe this guy is actually going to take over La Liga. He's probably not going to, but we're going to talk about him in a second. You get really attached to all of these things, and uh, you know, maybe there's some call for measuredness as well. <laughs> uh, measurosity is what I'm yes. calling it. Uh, it Joe, let's talk about Johnny then. First of all, is it just Johnny now? Is that what we're doing? Can it still be Johnny Cardoso for purposes of establishing who we're talking about? <sighs> It should still be Johnny Cardoso. I'm petitioning. I didn't start this petition, but I do think Johnny Soccer is at least worth a shout or the occasional mention um, for any Cleveland Browns fans out out there or Johnny Menzel fans. I think think we can Johnny Soccer this one every once in a while. I'm down for Johnny Soccer. Great. Johnny Soccer, since last we spoke, has moved to La Liga. (laughs) And Johnny Cardoso is a player that when we've talked about him in the past, he has been a... A not quite a like hype machine player, but he's one of those playing in Brazil. We didn't get a ton of looks at. He'd get called into camps. He'd get limited opportunities, limited minutes. And it felt like he was a not going to be on the plane to Qatar in 2022, but we'll see where he is next cycle. And it feels like that's exactly what we're doing now. I'm not going to lie. The move to La Liga and Raul Batiste has not hurt. It puts him um, in front of our eyes somewhat more regularly and makes it a little bit easier to keep tabs on him and what's going on there. Uh, So it does feel like he's made a smart move since last we talked about him. And it also feels like he is now more in the conversation though, as you said, that starting 11, especially when when we look at the midfield does feel pretty set. So it seems like he is playing for maybe a backup spot, a call up spot, and we'll see how things go from there. I think that's mostly true. The big question with the U.S. in midfield right now, and, and the big question that's been there for years now, is is Tyler Adams going to be fit at any given time? Is Where Tyler is Adams going to be fit in March? Yeah. It seems very, very unlikely as the U.S. will take on Jamaica in the semifinals of the CONCACAF Nations League, and then they'll play either Mexico or Panama, I believe, in the final or the third place game, depending on what happens on that side of the bracket and in the U.S. game. But, like, you know, is Adams going to be fit in March? Probably not. Is Adams going to be fit in, in June in the build-up to the Copa America? The U.S. You know, U.S. soccer just announced a friendly between the U.S. and Colombia at FedEx Field, Taylor, which is, is closer to your neck of the woods in June. I believe that's June 8th, before Copa America. Is he going to be ready for that stuff? We just never know with Tyler Adams. So I agree Cardoso's not in that first-choice group, even now that he's made the move to Real Betis and that he's had some good performances. But, I mean, man, the thing with this, this U.S. group kind of has always been are the good are, are the best options even going to be available in the first place? Mm-hmm. And I guess this is where like my next question would be: So do we see a pathway into the starting eleven for him? And the answer is automatically going to be I don't know because mm-hmm. we don't know because it could be Johnny comes into camp and does well if he gets caught up at all. It could be that Gio Reyna just has that spot open, maybe somebody else. But I think the point of doing these shows is to look at. Let's say Tyler Adams can't go. Let's say we are looking for more midfield depth options. Then we look at somebody like Johnny Soccer and we see what he's doing and we sort of decide how we're feeling about that heading into the camp. And then we see how he performs in that camp. So, Joe, with that said, how are we feeling about Johnny Soccer? I'm feeling better about him now than I ever have. And I, I think there is some natural bias that we've already acknowledged when a player moves to a bigger league. It's so easy to think automatically, oh, you know, they're maybe they're better than I thought they were, right? I have this perception of Real Batiste as this kind of smart, 
upper mid-table La Liga team that play good soccer typically. And so the idea of Johnny Cardoso going from Internacional in Brazil's top flight to Real Batiste is like a, a golden moment for me. And I think about Johnny Cardoso. With that being said, like just because someone's playing in Europe doesn't mean that they're in, in like automatically a starter for the U.S. Yeah. men's national team. They're past this. Still, he's. I think he's improved. Genuinely, I think he has improved from the last time I did a deep dive on Johnny Soccer to today. Quick background on him, just for the few folks out there that maybe aren't so familiar with him, with like really his life, and then I'll get into sort of what I've noticed from his time on the field with Rabatis. 22-year-old, right-footed defensive midfielder. I, th- I think Greg Berhalter pretty clearly views him as a number six. He was born in New Jersey to Brazilian parents and then moved to Brazil when he was really young. Made his Internacional debut back in 2019 and started getting real minutes for them in 2021. So it's a few years ago now. And then over the last year or so, some, some seemingly real European interest started to trickle down the pipeline. And eventually that resulted in him moving to Betis. That move was announced in December. So just a, a couple months ago now. He was signed, Taylor, as an injury replacement. So it was Guido Rodriguez, Argentine uh, defensive midfielder for Real Betis sort of more defensive-minded player, and Cardoso has some of those instincts, but maybe not quite all the way. They're not identical players. But Rodriguez broke his leg and had surgery in December, and then they had to bring in a replacement. And that has been Johnny Soccer. He's been pretty good. Four starts, four games, four starts, started all of them, full 90 minutes in the last three. And his first start, Taylor, was against Barcelona. And we talked about that game on a Weekend Review episode and mentioned, like, he didn't stand out in a bad way. Like, that is... Pretty impressive for your first ever start in La Liga, a higher level than he's ever played at before against the the second or third best team in the league. Like that is a legit accomplishment. I've started to see him, Taylor, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this. Be a little more adventurous with some of his passing. He's always been a super rhythm-based passer rather than like a game breaker where he's always splitting lines and feeding players in the half spaces. That's not really been his game. And it's not all the way his game now either. But it looks to me like he's being encouraged to break lines a little bit more with his passing and couple some of those things with the occasional press. And he had a good moment against Cadiz in the most recent game where he goes and wins the ball high up and then plays a nice cutback for an assist. That's that's probably his best action so far in Spain. But I, I feel like I'm starting to see him round out some of his game, and, and that is encouraging to me. I agree with that entirely. I have a question based off of that, but at first I will go with the agreement part. I, I think in watching him, I see a player who looks basically like a veteran for Raul Batiste. And that just stands out to me in little moments. Like there's uh, there's one against, I think, in that same Cadiz game where he goes in for a ball that maybe he doesn't need to go for. I think he has a teammate right there. And he ends up losing the foot race. And And this is such a minor moment. It's probably not that important. But I watched it like three times because there was no, like, holding up of a hand there was no like hey man sorry i made a mistake there but also his teammate doesn't yell at him they just sort of go back to like reset their positions and away they go and and it it was just noteworthy to me as what happens when you've played in a in a system with a team for a while that you have some familiarity there and there's no need to apologize for every little thing and every mistake there's no need to kind of go back and forth and that feels like something a younger player does a younger player or a less experienced or a less confident player has those moments like ah sorry I shouldn't have done that my bad my bad and that he doesn't have those but instead I think just gets back to the business of uh basically playing no nonsense defensive midfield uh it, it is sort of what made me feel more optimistic about him. But then to your point, I also saw him try to go on some dribbles, try to play some balls, try to just make little things happen. There were moments when he was much more involved in the attack, the pressing moment you mentioned there that all just 
were exciting to me because it felt like for a moment, like, oh, is he playing as like a, an attacking midfielder? Is he playing out on the wing? And he wasn't. But I think he's just sort of covering more ground, getting more involved in di- different areas of the pitch. All of that to me felt like very good reps. But Joe, like when you first started talking about him better than I've ever seen him or better, I feel better about him than I ever yeah. have is sort of like a person with two broken legs as they're slightly healing, being like, yeah, I mean, it feels better than it did. And like, I think he's improved. He's pretty good. Like there's been high pitched tones when you've been talking about him. So what what is it, do you think? Because I share that same level of pitch. What, what is it that has us both yeah. sort of like, yeah, it's, it seems good. It seems good. I love how that's that's 100% my tell, and I was picking up on it as I said it. He just doesn't jump off the screen. Even now, mm-hmm. he's starting to jump off the screen more and more. But you watch him play, and, and it's not quite the, man, like if you don't notice Sergio Busquets on the field, like that probably means he had a great game. It's not that. It's just that he's not really standing out with his his passing game, certainly when he was in Brazil. He's he's not like a crazy Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney level athlete, so he's not covering a ton of ground. I think his positioning and reads after his team loses the ball are are sharp. I think that's how he survived for so long and gotten so many minutes at an early age in a good league in Brazil. Like he is good at stuff, but he's not a game changer on the field, or at least he hasn't been. And some of the encouragement for me, I'm not anointing him as, oh my goodness, when Tyler Adams is out of the lineup, he has to be in. But it seems to me like we are seeing real progress on the field from Cardoso, and and that is a, a small win. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And and again, this sounds like damning with faint praise. But watching like all of his actions from his last five games, uh, I sort of, I genuinely came away with like, yeah, okay, seems yeah. seems fine, seems good. And, and and I think where I what I would like to see is him do one thing consistently well, if not exceptionally well. And and I think that is what tends to happen with players who have sort of reached that next level is we'll see them like, oh, wow, every single time he shepherded, shepherds his opponent one way into another defender and then he wins the ball and then he carries it forward. Or he wins the ball, he recycles possession. He's a really good outlet for when teams are pressing. There are moments of that with Johnny Cardoso. There are also moments when he's a little too loose in possession, takes a heavy touch. I saw him dribble out of bounds once. I saw him dribble into an opposition player a couple times. There's not that like consistency to one skill set or a couple skill sets that I would like to see that puts him into that, like, okay, we know he can do this, this, and this really well. Let's see what he can do with this now. I think right now, if I'm looking at where I am and evaluating him, it's probably like, call him into camp, he's in the squad, and then we see what he can do in some friendlies and how he elevates or doesn't elevate. I also feel like his performance in training will tell us a lot, not in terms of we're actually going to find out how he did in training, but if he's playing, if Berhalter talks about how he came away impressed, I think those are positive signs that we're moving in a, he gets more call-ups direction as opposed to, we'll see how he is in three or four months. That That's sort of where I am with Johnny Cardoso at present. I'll take it even one half step further. Like we've kind of been in that lane with Cardoso about like, he's probably going to be in the friendly squads Mm -hmm. and he'll probably get 20 minutes at the end of some of these games and maybe a spot start now. And then that's kind of where we've been on him. I think he's got nine caps at this point. And I I expect to hit double digits before, you know, the end of next month, I I would take it one half step further and just say, I'm encouraged that we're talking about still Tyler Adams backup. Most likely if everyone is fit, I'm encouraged that like this guy is playing at a good level in Europe and doesn't look out of place. Like he will not win the U.S. game single-handedly when he's on the field. But if we're talking about what I sort of opened the show with about thinking, you know, who who are the depth options for 2026 and what is the gulf between the first choice guys and the second choice guys? It seems to me that Johnny Cardoso is doing things to narrow that gap, and and suddenly 
maybe not so suddenly, but over time, over the last few months and, and maybe over his last stretch in Brazil as well, he's making the the pain point between Adams' injury and the next player having to step into that role. Like he's he's making that hurt less. And I think that is progress for him and for the US. I think those are all very, very valid points, Joe, and worth remembering because it's easy to get a little bit like, ah, you know, we'll see what happens and unimpressed when in reality, like 10 years ago, if we had an American moving to La Liga and starting as a defensive midfielder for a team, we would be elated. So it is a positive sign of how things have gone as a program and for Americans abroad. And I think it is worth being uh, excited about what comes next for Johnny Soccer, be it with the USMNT uh, or with Rabatis. We will be keeping an eye on it for sure. Many more players to be discussed, Joe Lowry, but first, a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show, Americans Abroad Roundup. It's normally Americans in action, but I don't think we're talking about too many domestic players, Joe. We are talking about Gio Reyna, who has made his move to Nottingham Forest. Uh, we've talked about it at various points on the show. Gio Reyna does, is starting to feel like a little bit of a point of contention between you and me, uh, specifically this move to England, where I was concerned about the physicality and maybe a little bit the intensity of the league. We don't need to uh, relitigate that point, but I will say in his two appearances so far that I've seen, 29 minutes, he's looked pretty physically fine. He's looked uh, like he can go into the challenges. He can win balls. He can handle getting knocked around a little bit. I think he has not stood out in a negative way in that regard as being undersized or incapable of handling the the physicality of the league, he has looked just fine so far. Yeah, I, I haven't seen too much from Gio Reyna <clears throat> at this point that makes me think he can't hang physically in the Premier League, but we also just haven't seen too much of Gio Reyna at there all. There is that. At this point, right? So what, his 40 total touches aren't doing it for you? Come on. Yeah, it, it's hard to make a definitive statement on, on Gio Reyna and his fit in the Premier League or his ability to impact games for Nottingham Forest when he's had two like 20-minute cameos at the end of the last two Premier League games. It was a 1-1 draw with Bournemouth that he made his debut in. Forest were pushing for that late winner. They did not get it. And it was a 3-2 loss to Newcastle where... Forrest were looking for a late equalizer and they did not get it, right? So if I guess if that's your sample size, Gianorian has not been the impact player that Nottingham Forrest wanted him to be. But like, he, I don't know, he, he looks fine. And the, the biggest reason I think it makes sense to talk about Reyna at this point is to just set the stage and, and recognize that he hasn't done much and, and we're curious to see what he will continue to do. But also to, to quickly go back through the transfer details in the first place because there were a lot of different reports about what was maybe happening with Gio Reyna or what wasn't happening with Gio Reyna. And a lot of them looked like loan deals with options to buy. And that's not what ended up happening for Nottingham Forest. And it ended up being just a six-month loan deal for Gio Reyna through the end of the season over in England. It's a loan through the end of the year, no option to buy. And as Gio Reyna left Dortmund, the club, Dortmund, also announced that they had extended his contract through the end of the 2026 season. 
So I'm fascinated. That's either a vote of confidence and saying, no, we really do believe in Geo. There's something there that we just haven't quite found yet. Or it's them hoping to, to sell high after he goes and shines on loan for Nottingham Forest because then they have more leverage with the extra contract because they're not you know forced to sell on a depreciating asset, all that stuff, right? I'm just curious to see you know, how Gio Reyna is going to do between now and the end of this season in England. Will he make an impact for Forrest? And then, like, does he have a future with Dortmund? Are they just going to sell him as soon as he gets back to Germany? I don't know. There, There is a downside to this, right? Like, like not to tend to head in that direction, but sure. I will. Like, if, if Nottingham Forest aren't doing well, which they haven't been, and if Giorana doesn't get the minutes that we would like to see him get, if he doesn't establish himself as a starter or an impact substitute, my assumption would be they're not going to buy him, especially if they get relegated. They can't afford that. So then he goes back to Dortmund. And like I could see a scenario in which Dortmund are like, see, like we're not the ones who aren't getting the best <laughs> out of him. But is that good for when you're trying to sell a player? Like what if it doesn't work out at Forest and he goes back to Dortmund, Joe? Is there a positive to be gained from this or does it feel to you like, okay, that didn't work and now we're sort of back to square one? Yeah, the second thing, like if he doesn't make a real impact with Nottingham Forest and right now it's been Calum Hudson-Odoi starting on the left wing, Morgan Gibbs-White starting as the number 10 and Anthony Alenga starting as the right winger and that that has been the starting front line in, in both of the last two recent Premier League games that Giorena has not started for. He clearly has to hop over one of those players to get a start and Forrest aren't just handing out starts as charity right now. They need points down towards the bottom of the Premier League table. If he can't hop into the starting lineup and can't make an impact, that's that's not a good sign for Giorena. It's absolutely not a good sign. With that being said, it's also not the end of the world, right? Like this is, this is pretty clearly a challenging situation for any player to go into. A relegation-threatened team that doesn't really play the style of soccer that you like to play that has a pretty clearly established you know, group. They're not looking, obviously, for another starter. They're hoping Giorana can be that, but he doesn't have to be. It's not like this, this completely perfect situation. But, I mean, if Giorana is as good as I think he is and as good as I think you know Greg Berhalter thinks he is, like he needs to be going and proving that he can fight for minutes and make an impact at this level. So, yeah, it's, it's not a good sign for Gio or for Dortmund, really, after signing him to a new deal, if he doesn't, produce something for this forest side i think there's a chance he will in the end i don't know if he jumps over either of those players you mentioned hudson adoy and gibbs white uh i hope that he does but even if he doesn't in the few cameos he's had thus far he has felt like a spark and he has felt like a player who's trying to make something happen uh, i've seen him playing more centrally or at least receiving the ball centrally but then he's working off the ball to win it back when he does get it it seems like he is trying to turn and look for passes through look to create look to just put opponents on their on their on their heels and in that way at the very least it's a player who's trying to kind of do the Johnny soccer thing and prove that they belong in that spot prove that they belong in that team and then elevate from there so i haven't been like underwhelmed necessarily yeah. by his lack of opportunities so far. I think it's a player getting getting to grips after making a January move, and January moves can always be tricky to handle in the in the immediate sort of uh, future. Uh, but where he goes from here, how he evolves, or how he can kind of continues to blend in, I think is going to be the most fascinating thing. Because for Reyna, it's not really about like can he add this to his game, can he add that to his game. It's about can he become a regular starter and fit into a a group of individuals (laughs) and make that team better? That is sort of where I am with him is, is like, what are we seeing from him uh, as an individual? I would say that the story from Matt Turner, which I think was told in jest. (laughs) Did you see that one about uh, Turner texting him? No, I did not see this. 
I think when the rumors uh, were first breaking that Geo was thinking about going to Nottingham Forest or Dortmund were come here. loaning him there, <laughs> Turner texted him to be like, yo, man, I hear you're like linked with, with Forest." No response <laughs> to, to the message ever. Uh, so uh, Matt Turner was basically like, and that's that's kind of Geo. That's kind of yeah, how I was, it goes. I was just but we're to excited say, to have him. I had, yeah. I had not heard that story. That is completely on brand for yeah. Gio Reyna, who I, uh, just to be clear, I think seems like he has a very frustrating personality at times to get along with. And I think, Taylor, you are you are oftentimes very correct to point that out. Troubled geniuses um, often do. Tr- Troubled trouble genius is the perfect do. way to describe it. He has some Beethoven vibes to him, for sure. Um, and I, I think you should text Matt Turner back. And that's all I have to say yeah. on the matter. Yeah. So, like, where we are with him in terms of what we'd like to see next is basically more. Play. Of yeah. Uh, yeah. If not starts, then more substitute appearances in which he's able to make an impact, maybe... 30 minutes instead of 12 and 17, respectively. But it is only two games. I said in the beginning, like, that I've seen, because it feels like it should have been more by this point. But I think uh, it, it's the two, because that's when he made the move. Yep. Uh, but they've got West Ham on the weekend. They've got Villa, Man United, Liverpool, Brighton coming up. That's a tough <sighs> run of fixtures, Joe. Yikes, <laughs> I'm not man. sure I'd want to be a Nottingham Forest fan. No, not at all. I, I also, that is sort of encouraging for me, because we're almost halfway through February now. And in my head, I was thinking January transfer, like it's been a month and a half since January yeah, started. Right. But it's it's not, it's been two weeks. So he's, had, he's yeah. had two weekends to play. He's played on both weekends, maybe not as much as any U.S. fans would want, not as much as I would want. Um, but I think it's fair to assume that he will start to get some bigger bites of the apple soon. I, I would say so. All right, let's move away from Nottingham Forest to... Nottingham Forest with Matt Turner. Joe, uh, things have been interesting uh, yeah. for Matt Turner, who has been getting starts, has been getting opportunities. It's just that those opportunities end with uh, Gary Neville saying he is absolutely terrible with his feet, and then Matt Turner does not play in their most recent uh, loss, the 3-2 loss to Newcastle. He does not start that game. Joe, as the uh, world's biggest Matt Turner fan, how you feeling, buddy? Man, my uh, my propaganda's taken a pretty big hit recently. I'll just go ahead and say it. Matt Turner has In really... A way, sort of. Okay. But, but I have a defense. I have a defense. Do you want to preempt what I'm going to say with your defense, or do you want to defend after I explain why Matt Turner's making me sad? You go first. Okay, you go all right. First. I'll, I'll take the negative side, because he has not been especially good this year. Now, Forests are, are a dumpster fire for the most part, and so there, it's, there are a lot of difficulties there. But Matt Turner comes <laughs> in from Arsenal in the summer, and he he was brought in, it seems like, to be their starter, but without a full vote of confidence because they also bring in another potentially starting caliber goalkeeper yep. with an elite name, by the way, a way better name than Matt Turner, Odysseus Vlacodimos, comes yep. in from, from Portugal. They signed him that. in the summer as well. Both of those players have struggled. Turner struggled more because he's been on the field more often. Particularly, he's been really struggling to deal with shots in the, at the near post. Like, he's let in a weird amount of, of near post shots. Even thinking back, Taylor, to that away game in Port of Spain in Trinidad and Tobago where he gets beaten at the near post, I don't think he was primarily at fault for that goal that Trinidad and Tobago scored, but he, he didn't cover himself in glory right then. He struggled with his feet. You mentioned that a little bit. That's not really new, which just happened to be a lot of high-profile mistakes that, frankly, I'm not super worried about. But he was beaten at the near post in his last Premier League start two match days ago. Uh, against Arsenal, was beaten at the near post from a rocket of a shot from Kulisevsky against Tottenham earlier in the season. I mentioned that Trinidad and Tobago one. He, he just hasn't been making a lot of the difficult saves that we're very accustomed to Matt Turner making. And in response to Turner's problems and Odysseus Vlacodimus' problems as well, he has not been good in his five starts he's made in the Premier League so far, Forrest brought in another goalkeeper in the January transfer window, Matt Sells, who has two starts, 
Uh, they signed him from Strasbourg in Liga as a desperation play, really. And he's never been good in France either and hasn't been good in his two starts. He started the last two Premier League games. So Forrest, in general, are struggling for a goalkeeper who can stop shots. And most often, that's been Matt Turner's whole thing. Mm-hmm. But he is in, as far as I can remember, I know he had a few dips at times with, with the Revs in, in MLS, but was generally very, very good for them and earned that move to Arsenal. He was really deserving of that, of that Premier League move. Like, this is the longest extended struggle that I think he's had in his professional career, at, at least at the top level. So my my experience comes from uh, not playing college soccer, um, but I'm going to use that experience here. I was supposed to be like a central midfielder for my D3 college team as a freshman. Um, and when I understood that things were not going well is when the starting like defensive midfielder and then the backup defensive midfielder got hurt. And I was sort of one of the next up options. And they started bringing in like, let's see what the right back can do as a center midfielder. Let's see what this guy. And like, that was sort of what I realized. Like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not maybe the guy. And I do think when you see the team starting to bring in other goalkeepers, every transfer, it it really does hurt. And, and, and that near post stat that you mentioned, Joe, like maybe, Likely, I'm I'm willing to make this argument because it's Matt Turner. He's an American. I'm defending him. But like it could just be, yeah, maybe he's bad at the near post. But that also, to me, speaks to a goalkeeper who doesn't really have much faith in any of his teammates to do any of their jobs. To me, that sounds like a goalkeeper who is trying to deal with like a potential shooter at the near post from a tighter angle, but also what happens if the cross comes in? How do I position myself to maybe make a play on that one? Oh, my, my defender has been losing the guy at the back post because we're overly committed into the attack. So I need to worry about that. It feels like he's having to do a lot of things while at the same time being very short of confidence because different goalkeepers keep coming in. And then on top of that, you have, I mentioned it earlier, Gary Neville and other pundits really criticizing his footwork or lack thereof. Uh, there's a really good piece by The Athletic uh, written by Jeff Reuter and I'm pulling it up. Greg O'Keefe, I want to give uh, credit where credit is due, sort of analyzing his struggles with Forrest. And they were very much focused on his distribution, pointing out that I think when it comes to like goalkeeper passing under pressure, he is, I think, 12th in the Premier League. So not bottom would be a key factor there. I think he's like eighth in terms of uh, distributions from deep. Uh, like all that to say, it is not as though he has just been this com- complete calamity. It's not Petr Cech when Arsenal first tried to pass and he just kicks the ball straight out of bounds every single time. There are other extenuating circumstances there. To your point, though, you want to see Matt Turner then just at least be the sort of bedrock shot stopper. Yeah, he's not stringing passes out wide, like uh, like splitting defenders to, to play somebody in, but at least he's making those saves. At least he's being a consistent performer. And I do think there are individual factors in that Turner maybe he's in a little bit of a slump, but then also external factors that are probably not helping his overall confidence. He feels like a player who needs a U.S. camp, who needs yeah. just a step away be around a more like like familiar atmosphere where he is sort of the number one, where he is a celebrated player, where he is a veteran leader, get those sort of minutes with the team and then go back to Nottingham Forest, hopefully with a a breath of confidence. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to ask you, Taylor. So we're very close to the March international window. Uh, Newsflash. It's going to be next month in March. Uh, I'm thinking here, you know, what is Greg Berhalter's role in all this? Like how can he, try to restore something for Matt Turner and try to get him back on track. And the obvious answer to me is just stay the course. Like Matt Turner has been the U.S. men's national team starting goalkeeper for quite some time. He was at the World Cup. Like in my mind, he hasn't quite done enough yet to dissuade me or I imagine to dissuade Greg Berhalter 
from continuing to give him minutes. So it sounds like you're on that same train, Taylor. If you're Burhalter in March against Jamaica in the semifinal with a chance to play Mexico in the final, do you start Matt Turner or do you go elsewhere? No, you start him. Okay. And, I, and I think this is the luxury of the second cycle that you have in Greg Berhalter, a coach who knows yeah. what Matt Turner can bring and what Matt Turner can be when he is playing at the level that we expect him to play at. And, and so with that in mind, you don't have a new coach coming in who's like, ah, I don't know, this guy's out of form. Maybe I should try four different people and see who kind of stands above the rest. This feels like an opportunity for Berhalter to back a, a player who is probably short on confidence, give him probably both games. And and just give him that opportunity to start, feel like more comfortable, feel like back in his rhythm. If he looks bad there, it's a different conversation. But it's not as though also there are other candidates sort of beating down the door to be that number one. There are lots of other potentials, but we ran through this relatively recently, which means it might, it's in the last like six months. I genuinely don't remember, Joe. But I know we talked about this, and basically the issue was there's no obvious contender there's no obvious successor and so i think even if there were i wouldn't mind if berhalter started turner both games and just gave him that sort of that backing uh but i think because there isn't you have a luxury of you know what we know what we've got in him we're gonna experiment in other areas and and try other little things here and there and then maybe if somebody starts to raise their game or if turner's game continues to fall off then that's a conversation we can have in the next camp or in camps to come. Yep, I completely agree. There's nobody banging down the door to the point where you sort of feel like you're forced into making a switch at that point. If Turner really struggles in in these games, I think the conversation shifts, but until we get to those games, I don't think anything has really changed. All right, so that was the Nottingham Forest segment of the Americans Abroad Roundup. Uh, I don't know. I I expect we'll have a lot more, actually. I was going to say I don't know how many more of those we'll have, but... Provided Matt Turner continues to get minutes here and there, provided Giorana does the same, I'm guessing we'll have more Nottingham Forest chats in the future. But those are the ones that we wanted to kind of go deep on. We've got a few more players with some quick hits that we're going to get through, as well as a look ahead to MLS. Uh, One more break, and then we will do all of that. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. 
Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show, where we continue our Americans in Action Roundup, and we continue the sort of bummer theme of the show by talking about Daryl DK. Uh, he returned from tearing his right Achilles. Uh, he plays for about five weeks, and then he tears his left Achilles, which I have to believe is one of the more heartbreaking things that can happen. Like it's up there with, I guess like reaggravating your hamstring over and over again, or touring, tearing your other ACL. But Achilles is such a, a brutal injury. And for it to happen in such a short amount of time to a player who is really plagued by injuries at this point, he joins West Brom from Orlando city in January of 2022. Uh, I think he's only played 29 league matches, 32 overall. Uh, he had a hamstring injury. He tore another thigh muscle. Then he tears the Achilles. Now he's torn his other Achilles. He has just really not had the time in West Brom that we were hoping he would have. He has not had the time in England that we were hoping he would have, Joe. Yeah, first of all, I, I think everybody's heart just kind of goes out to Daryl DK because of the injury history that you've mentioned. And to have it be one Achilles after the other is just yep. so... It's awful. Is like, it, it is, it's is really it awful. Is it worse to be one and then the other? Like, would it be better if it were the same one? And it's just like, oh, I guess the surgery didn't work. I don't really know, but I feel like it's worse that it's the other one. I don't, medically, there might be one thing that actually is worse than the other in terms of the ability to, to rehab, but yeah. I don't I don't know the answer. So yeah, this feels about as bad as it gets. I really, I mean, my heart goes out to the DK because this, is, this just really, really sucks. And he seems like just such a, Good dude. Yeah. Like, he seems like yeah. a guy that you want to hang out with. He really does. Everybody, I've never had the chance to, to chat with him, but I know a decent number of folks who have, and everybody just really loves talking with Dale DK. Like, there's some athletes you interview, and you think, okay, I could go through the rest of my life without ever really feeling the need to do that again. And Daryl DK is not one of those players. Like, he is incredibly personable, is very easy to root for, not just because of his personality, but because of his path, right? Like, Oklahoma playing college soccer mm -hmm. into, like, MLS and being really, yeah, really good baby. so fast. And hitting the ball so freaking hard every single time he puts his laces through it. Yeah. He's just such an easy guy to cheer for. And it, it feels dangerously close, this whole situation, to being a, a what if. Yeah. Like we'll all sort of look mm -hmm. back in a decade and think, man, remember Daryl DK? And that makes me really sad because I, I think he is a phenomenal player at his best. I don't, I don't know that he's an obvious starter for the U.S., but his, his physical attributes make him such an intriguing player and will continue, right? Like, He'll come back for this injury. He'll still be a professional soccer player. Maybe he will stay healthy and find something. But I just really feel for the guy missing so much time at this stage of his career. It just really sucks. 
if you're Daryl DK or his family, you might want to take your headphones off for a little while here. Because, Joe, like you say in 10 years from now, we might look back and be like, what might have been at, at present? I sort of feel like 10 years from now, I, I'm not sure I'm going to remember that much about Daryl DK, because I think this is really difficult to come back from, like n- not just tearing the one, but tearing the other. And it's with West Brom. So like when he comes back, is he still with them? Is he a free agent at that point? Who is looking to pick him up? It feels like maybe a return to Major League Soccer is where things go. It's just tough to see. I think what I'm circling around is that it's tough to see where he goes next after these injuries. Because I do think psychologically there can be a feeling of like, when is my body going to betray me again? And then there can also be the added hump of who is going to roll the dice on me to be a key player for them with that injury history who even knows what I'm capable of at this point because I've been injured for so long. I think it's a it's a long road back, which is frustrating, obviously, for him as a human. Um, and I really do just feel awful for him. I, I didn't see this story, Joe. Only when you put it in the running order did I then read about it and felt it was a fun way to start my morning, basically. <laughs> it was a, a crying toddler and a crying Daryl DK on my screen where it was the one-two punch I needed. Um but it, it just it, it's also such a a bummer because he is a player similar to Johnny Soccer, where we sort of felt like, OK, 2022 is is too soon for him. We know he's not going to be in that conversation. Injuries certainly playing a part in that. But as we move towards 2026, he felt like a player who could be poised for maybe a big season in the championship. Maybe they get that back into the Premier League. Maybe a team that's promoted wants him to go with them. Maybe other teams around Europe are having a look. And he felt like a player who was poised to have options, basically, uh, in the near future. And now it feels like those options are dwindling, not through any fault of his own. And that's just like the cruelest thing about being a professional athlete, I have to imagine, is how things can sort of be taken away from you through no real fault of your own. So I don't even have a question. I don't even have a follow-up thing for you, Joe. I just have commiserations for Daryl DK. They can put the headphones back on. Daryl DK and Daryl DK family and friends can put the headphones back on, as we say, Commiserations to him. We hope for the best. He will be out for the rest of 2024 was the initial uh, report. So 2025 is the year of Daryl DK, Joe. Yeah. That sound good? Make it happen, Daryl. We believe. All right. In our quick hits, in our remaining quick hits segment, Joe, do we have any positives? Where, where are we going to be positive? Uh, there are positives. Let's pick out All the right. most positive one right now or one that continues to sort of be a positive, Ricardo Pepe. So I thought mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to take a look, especially thinking about Daryl DK and the number nine depth chart for the U.S. right now, to take a look at a position group that still doesn't feel entirely locked down and everybody's kind of vying and elbowing and pushing and shoving to climb their way up the depth chart. Ricardo Pepe continues to be crazy efficient in the Eredivisie. He still has not started. This is the, the pain point. He still has not started for PSV. Don't worry about that. Don't think about it because he scores off the bench all the time. He has five goals in 250 minutes. Like, that is stupid how efficient he's been. He scored a goal over the weekend in his first minute on the field. It's a right-footed laser from the right side of the box. Really well-taken finish from Pepe, who for both club and country has been just a crazy good super sub to the point where I almost wonder if he super subbed himself into a corner with the U.S. men's national team because it feels like every time he comes off the bench for Greg Berhalter, he does something positive. Every time he comes off the bench for PSV, he does something positive. And I think maybe that means, you know, between his profile and his, his love to run him behind and sort of what he's been doing for club and country, maybe he's stuck in that role. But in general, he seems like a pretty patient and effective deputy to Luke de Jong. And when eventually the tides turn over in the Netherlands and maybe he gets an opportunity, he looks ready to seize it in a big way. 
Joe, the answer to this, uh, it's more than fine for it to be. I'm not sure. And then it's a thing we'll pay attention to. But are you seeing Pepe doing anything differently when he makes those substitute appearances? Uh, Is he doing anything like different than what the attackers that uh, were on the pitch before him are doing? Because it feels to me like when you get a super sub who is as effective as he is, I think of somebody like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the most famous, I think, super sub or the initial super sub. And he talked a lot about how all he did in the game was watch what the players he might be replacing were doing, but then also what the defenders were doing, what the opposition was doing, and where there might be vulnerabilities. And then as soon as he came on, he was attacking those spots that he had identified. That's why everybody was sure he was going to be such a great coach. And here we are. Uh, But I do wonder if that's something that if we watch more Ricardo Pepe before he's on and then after he comes on uh, if there are little differences to his game or if it is just he's playing against really tired defenders. I I think it's a little bit of both of those things. So even just thinking about the difference in profile between De Jong, who is PSV's starting number nine, and Pepe, De Jong is is a little bit more well-rounded in that I think he's a bit better on the ball. He he doesn't always drop into midfield, but he's just more comfortable with the ball at his feet than Ricardo Pepe. And Pepe's natural inclination is to turn and run, like to turn and run in behind. He shares that trait with a few other U.S. number nines that maybe we'll talk about. But between the fact that PSV are just straight up better than every other team in the Netherlands right now, between the fact that he gives, he's throwing a different punch, like he's throwing the jab and maybe, you know, De Jong's been throwing that hook or whatever. I don't know, right? He's doing something different than, than De Jong does. And defenders are tired. Like all of those things do really work in his favor. But the fact that he's so sharp at running in behind oftentimes when the opposition are needing to push for a goal themselves, I do think that stacks the deck in Ricardo Pepe's favor and is one of those things that makes me think that even if his role changes slightly between now and this summer, he's probably still best suited in the short term to be that backup number nine on every roster where you can pretty much guarantee he's getting between 15 and 30 minutes at the end of the game to give the U.S. a little bit of a push. All right, I, let's talk about Florin Balogun for a minute, and then we can sort of cycle back to Ricardo Pepe if sure. we want to. How are you feeling about his season at Monaco, who are presently third in France, so that's good. 12 points behind PSG, that's sort of understandable. I think the larger issue for me would be that their top scorer is uh, Vissam Ben Yedder with 11 goals, then Gullivan, then Minamino, then Balogun with four it has not been maybe the setting the world alight campaign I had hoped for. I'm not sure how much of that is necessarily his fault. It does seem like he's being asked to do a lot and a lot of different things, but it still hasn't been the campaign that I was fully hoping for uh, when he made this move. No, not not at all, Taylor. And I was really high on this move. I thought he was a good fit. I thought yep. eventually he would he would yep. leap into that number nine every game kind of guy for for Monaco, and he's played a lot still. But he just hasn't had the same impact that Ben Yedder has had, and maybe I overestimated the amount of legal trouble it seemed like Ben Yedder was going to be in, and that hasn't turned into much, as far as I can tell. And so he's still been eating up a bunch of minutes and is a productive forward on the field, Vassan Ben Yedder. So Balogun's been in this weird spot. He's played a ton, you know, sometimes in the front two, sometimes as a sole striker, sometimes a little bit wider even. like He can do all of those things. But it feels like in recent games, he's lost that starting job. He's still been playing in, in the Cup, but he hasn't started in either of the last two games for Monaco in Liga. So he, it seems like maybe the tide has changed a little bit there and not in a positive way. Like I, I watch him play Balogun, and he still looks good. Like He looks very much like a player when I, I watch him on tape and think, yeah, this guy can help the U.S. men's national team. And I still firmly believe that, but he hasn't elevated his game in the way that I, I thought he could this year for Monaco. It, it looks to me a bit like he stagnated, can't quite find a consistent way to impact games, is good at a lot of stuff, is still not maybe quite as strong and hold up play as, as you'd like him to be. 
and isn't finding the looks in the final third that that certainly Greg Baralter and, and Monaco as well would want. So it's been just kind of a, it has been a disappointing season. I think Balogun has been fine, but fine is not where I think most of us thought he would yeah. be in this first year with Monaco. So what I'm seeing uh, in Balogun with Monaco is, to take it to a broader perspective for a moment, under Adi uh, Hutter, seems like Monaco will go with a 4-4-2 on occasion. You mentioned that. Or they'll go with a back three. When they go with a back three, it seems to me like it's often a 3-4-2-1. Uh, with Ben Yedder, as we already mentioned, being their top scorer, being their most effective goal scorer, you're not going to bench him. And then it seems like it is usually Golovin as one of those more advanced two. Uh, Akliush would be the other one. Sometimes it's Ben Seguir. There's other players rotating in, but that's also not where you're going to play Balogun. So basically, if you're going with that one striker system, it's going to be Vissan Ben Yedder, and then it's going to be Balogun off the bench, which is what it's been. When they're in a front two, that's where we have seen him get more opportunities and more minutes. But even there, that feels to me like it's because they're in two banks of four, they're setting up a little bit deeper, and then they're trying to spring counters, and that means it's long balls into his feet or direct balls into his feet with the defender on his back. I see him get pushed over a lot. Maybe half of the time that's called for a foul. The other half of the time he gets pushed over, the defender takes the ball away, and the other team attacks. And it just doesn't seem like he's being put in a position that he wants to be in. It's not runs into space with med- short to medium passes uh, into feet or through while it's for him. It feels like it's a lot more direct play from deep where he has to come back and get involved. Maybe that's good experience for playing with the U S but I sort of feel like it's another scenario in which similar to Matt Turner, I think he gets both of the starts or at least starts that first friendly as a way to sort of put him in, in a situation in which he is more likely to thrive where the U S even if they don't have more of the ball, I think because there's a few reps there because they know they want to use him or how they want to use him. I just wonder if he looks a little bit more efficient there. I think this is a case where he hasn't set the world alight, certainly, but I also think it is not just he's been bad. Other players have been better than him. And now he's on the bench. It feels like certain situations haven't gone the way we hope they would. You mentioned that with Ben Yedder and then maybe the way the team is shaping up, it just doesn't work with him as a starter right now. Maybe things change. Maybe he finds that form again, but he's a player who I think is in a difficult spot for the rest of the season. Yeah, I would entirely agree with you on that, Taylor. And, and for me, the the shift in style that Balogun is, has undergone as the team around him has changed, going from Rem in, in Liga, where he's on loan from Arsenal last year, now to Monaco. Like last year, he was on a pure counterattacking team. Like they were so incredibly direct. Balogun could shine running in behind, occasionally dropping in, but like he didn't have to go to battle every game and almost every minute with a big bodied center back. He was running behind those guys. Like, like he didn't have to worry about those. He was going to leave them in, in the dust. This year with Monaco, a possession dominant team, it's a very, very different approach. And ultimately, I think you said there, Taylor, maybe something about like him growing and that helping him with the US stylistically. I think there's a lot of truth to that. It's just taking him longer to adjust to this style than I, I thought it would. The, the good news for Monaco and, and for Balogun, I guess specifically, maybe maybe less so Monaco, is that they invested a lot of money in this kid. Like, they are they are financially incentivized to give him a lot of opportunities for them to get a return on their investment. Like, they, they are going to continue to give him looks, I would imagine, even if he gets to, I don't know, 10 goals feels, feels pretty doable still in Liga. Like, that's not the return they would have wanted. Uh, but if they finish second in Ligon, Balogun scores 10 goals, you sort of think, okay, first year in our system, like next year is really going to be the year. I still generally back this whole thing to work out. 
And I still think Balogun, despite him not scoring at the rate that Pepe is right now, I still think Balogun is the best striker in the pool. Like th that opinion for me hasn't changed even as the circumstances haven't elevated how I thought they would. I think he is still the, the player that gives the U.S. the best chance to win when he is on the field from the start of the game at the number nine spot. And, and not enough has shifted around these nines for that to really change. Yep. That, that's, that's the thing, right? Is if Pepe had gone from super sub, occasional starter to regular starter, occasional sub, who's scoring the goals he's scoring, certainly at the rate he was scoring, if he were starting every game, it would be a very exciting thing. Uh, if that had happened, then I think it's a more difficult conversation, or at the very least, it is more of a conversation. But right now, with them sort of being in similar situations, it feels like Balogun has been the starter, so I think will be the starter. But I do have it as Balogun and Pepe, then there's that gap. But then there there are more conversations to be had here, Joe. Uh, when it comes to championship strikers, do you want to talk next about Josh Sargent or do you want to talk about Haji Wright? Yeah, there's like a whole glut. We'll, we'll do Sargent uh -huh. first because I think he is, okay. I, I just like Josh Sargent more as a player. Yep. I think he's, he's more likely to impact the U.S. Seven goals in less than 700 minutes in the championship for Norwich right now. Three goals in his last five games. He looks good, man. Like he looks really, really sharp for Norwich right now. Kind of looking more like the player that, Maybe we thought he was yeah. going to be back when he was in the USU system. I'm enjoying this. And to put it in perspective, because that number might be confusing, uh, he has a start and a substitute appearance in August. Yep. Then he's injured and out until basically the very end of December. And he starts getting substitute appearances there. Uh, I think he comes on as a second half sub against Bristol in on January 6th. And from that moment on, he has started their last one, two, three, four five games i believe where he has scored three goals joe so sergeant that explains somewhat why he wasn't playing there so for people who heard that 700 minutes and thought like well that's not great there are reasons why and it is pretty exciting that then he's come back in and has helped them win some games get some draws that they otherwise might not have gotten that's a great call from from your end there taylor about the the minutes and the injury midseason like when he's been on the field and now he is an every game starter for them he's been super sharp like i said he looks more like the player that you know, maybe we imagined he could be back several years ago now. I don't know if he's going to be in the U.S.'s camp or roster in March. I don't know if he's going to be around for the Copa America. I don't know what his national team future looks like because, and I'll rope in Haji Wright here as well, Haji Wright is also scoring in the championship. Haji Wright was at yeah. the World Cup. Haji Wright has also been playing as a winger, which does give him a bit more... I know Josh Sargent's also played as a winger and also Taylor as a right wing back. Do you remember that? That was back when we were doing these shows like every week. It Whoa. feels like a fever dream where he moved from Whoa. striker to winger to wing back. And, you know, that experiment's over, thankfully. But like Haji Wright is now doing more of that positional versatility stuff that that can maybe get you on as the last man in a roster for Berhalter, who it seems like has, has been pretty committed since the World Cup to bringing just two number nines to every camp. So it's not like he's handing out these spots to players just because you know there are a lot of nines seemingly in this pack, maybe just underneath Pepe and Balogun. But right, it's, it's been fascinating to see him play a little bit wider. He's got 10 goals in 1,800 minutes in the championship. He's been an every game starter. Like he, He's been playing some as a nine, some as, as a left winger, and is just this kind of vertical slashing presence regardless of where he plays. When he plays in the middle, like Pepe, like a lot of these guys, he wants to run in behind. He's not good with his back to goal. 
When he plays as a winger, he wants to run in behind. He doesn't love having the ball with his feet when he's out wide. He would rather sort of make his run off the ball and meet a through ball in behind the back line from a teammate and then get the ball on his right foot and shoot rather than start the ball, you know, sort of high and wide on the left side with the with with uh, with possession and then dribble three guys with the ball at his feet on on his right foot specifically and break into the box and shoot. He wants to do his work off the ball first rather than on the ball and then sh- then get a shot off. Like he, he's kind of limited on the wing, but has also been effective at a decent level. He's he's not making the decision around the fringes of the nine spot easy for Greg Peralta, and that's that's a good thing. And, and how would you feel if you were brought into U.S. camp to be competition out wide? Hmm. Uh, I feel mostly fine about him being a depth option at wide. I think Christian Pulisic and, and Tim Weah are pretty much locked in on both wings. I don't think you find many U.S. fans who would disagree with that notion, especially given that it seems like Gio Reyna's minutes are coming more centrally now for the U.S. After that, I, I don't have a ton of confidence. Brendan Aronson is a productive player, can do his job very, very well, but is limited. Haji Wright is a productive player right now, is is actually playing, unlike Brendan Aronson, and scoring goals. And so, not just Aronson, right? You think about... Morris and Areola and some of those guys who are deeper down the depth chart. Luca Coleosho is out injured, and we don't know if he's in the picture either. So I'm not against the idea of experimenting some in the winger pool. I'm not all the way there on Haji Wright, but maybe he comes in and, and looks really good doing his very specific job. He is maybe my number one pick for a person that could be on the roster that is going to annoy Twitter. Yes, okay. uh, Because it's going to be like, what? He wasn't good in the World Cup. Why are we bringing him in? We, we've had this experiment. It's not going to work. But I, I, I think... That's why I like doing these shows, Joe, is because he was completely off my radar. You put him on the running order. Then I start watching stuff. Then I start paying attention to him more and realize he's been pretty effective for Coventry, who are in the, I believe, final playoff position at time of recording for the championship. So could be a Premier League player. You never know. But, I mean, 10 goals, 5 assists, 19 starts, 1,800 minutes. All of those are good numbers. And I think you summed up really well what we've seen from him so far with Coventry. I would just say he feels like a player who could be in that squad, who could be called in again to see what he can do centrally, to see what he can do out wide, and to see what he can do in camp and who he can kind of push to that next level. I would probably put him third on the depth chart for our number nines right now, but that is a very fluid spot because I think there are so many different possibilities and it really is a sort of who's hot in the moment. Uh, and right now it's Haji Wright, which is an odd thing to say about Haji Wright and Coventry and the championship. <laughs> but here we are. Um, another uh, possib- possibility, Joe, would be Brandon Vasquez, uh, who yep. who gets his move. I was a little bit skeptical of this move. I thought maybe he would go to Europe. And then I wasn't sure how it was going to go with him moving to Mexico. Seems like it's going pretty OK. Pretty yeah. OK. Yeah, pretty pretty OK slash pretty darn good, I think, is the, yeah. the TLDR on Brandon Vasquez to Monterey. Three goals in four games so far in Liga Mekis. Uh, he was not in the lineup, or excuse me, he didn't score in the most recent game against Club America, which which is probably the best uh, opposition that Monterey have had so far. And uh, like Monterey didn't really need him to do anything in their CONCACAF Champions Cup game against Comunicaciones. So he's cooled off a little bit after he scored just an outrageous header pretty early on in these games. Had a couple of other nice, nice finishes as well. But he's in the pack, right? Like... Monterey is a good level. You know, I think they could very much compete sort of in the, the upper echelons of the championship. Like there are, they are a, a really, really good team. One of the best in this region. If Vasquez is scoring, Haji Wright is scoring, Josh Sargent is scoring. You know, I, I think those players are all very much in the hat right now. Sort of pick a name. And if Baralter wants a third name after Balogun and Pepe, it's, it really could sort of be any one of those guys right now. That's really interesting. Is like maybe he doesn't even want to experiment more with that one like yeah. maybe with the uncertainty about Balagan and with Pepe being that super sub maybe it is let's just give these two guys reps and minutes 
and then we'll kind of bring in more options out wide or in the middle or at fullback, and we can sort of experiment in other areas. I hadn't really thought about that, Joe, but that is definitely a possibility. If you were going to have Berhalter call in a third potential number nine, would it be somebody that we've talked about? Would it be somebody else entirely? Uh, it would be somebody that we've talked about. Uh, I would <laughs> I would lean towards Josh Sargent just because I'm okay. intrigued about Haji Wright, especially as, as maybe like a late game winger sub. But I'm just not sure that he's good enough at that job. Um, but but really, one of Sargent or Wright would be my pick, and Vasquez is probably still the last man on that list for me. Vasquez, I think, picked up an injury recently, but should be back. Not a big one. But he is 25? That sounds 24? right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so he would be overage. So would Haji Wright. So would Josh Sargent for yep, the 25. Olympics. Would you like to see any of them called in as an overage Olympic player to be the sort of veteran player? I'm I'm super open to that. Like I'd, I'd have to go through and make the whole roster mm. to me to figure out the biggest needs. We've talked about this before. Center back feels like a weak point for that U23 pool, as does the number nine spot. The question is, like, is Duncan McGuire that guy? Because if he's really, really sharp heading into the Olympics... You know, you feel pretty good about him at that number nine spot if you know this whole transfer saga with Blackburn has shaken him and maybe some of the regression that feels like it's coming anyway really rocks him this season wherever he's playing as his agent is literally fishing for interest on Twitter the last couple of weeks. Like, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Maguire? And if you don't feel good about him, yeah, I would absolutely look to probably one of Sargent or Vasquez for that with, with Wright still sort of being more of a flex guy. Uh, final question for you, Joe, for this episode. We're doing our MLS season previews next week. I think the second of the two previews will be on the day that we get our first game of the season. Yep. So we're keeping it late. Uh, we're keeping our powder dry until late, uh, which I'm fine with. But as a little bit of a teaser, uh, when we look at the MLS season to come, who are the U.S. eligible players you're most excited to watch? Yeah, I've got three down on my list, and I have one who sort of stands out above the other two. Jack McGlynn is number one on the list for me. I think a lot of other folks would probably echo that. 20 years old is going to be a regular starter for the Union, was last year, will play on the left side of that diamond. Kai Wagner sort of streaking up the, the wing you know, from the, from the left-back spot. He's just unlike really any other player in the U.S. pool and that his left foot is so good. I've talked about it over and over again on this show. What I'm watching for specifically, because McGlynn's a good, serviceable MLS central midfielder right now, even at 20 years old. What I'm watching for is, number one, how does he continue to improve his reactions, like we talked about with Cardoso, after the Union lose the ball? He is not fleet of foot. He is lanky. He is slow. Like, can he be, can he, can he get himself to the level that, or at least anywhere near the level that Sergio Busquets managed to get himself to with Barcelona for a decade, right? Busquets is not fleet of foot. He is lanky. He is slow. They are built very similarly. And yet Busquets was the anchor for one of the best teams this ever this sport has ever seen. Can McGlynn sharpen his reactions and be there one step faster? Not because he is faster, but because he moved earlier. That I'm curious about, along with, like, is he actually a number eight? You know, is he just a connector piece or maybe he's better deeper downfield? Will we see Jim Curtin try that maybe in a back three shape with him part of a double pivot? We saw a little bit of that look from the Union last year. Or is he better higher up the field? And can he play make more in the final third McGlynn right now has been a very, very good to elite ball progressor in MLS, but those guys are are kind of a dime a dozen in Europe. And if he wants to go make a move, maybe to the Netherlands or you know to, to wherever, like he kind of needs to be a specialist at something because he is he is not a specialist athlete and he is a specialist passer. But right now that passing isn't providing quite as much value as I think it could at its best. So McGlynn is number one, and then very quickly the other two. I mentioned Duncan McGuire. 
what's going on, man? Like, where is he going to be? Where is he going to be playing? It doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't seem like Orlando City is probably where he's going to be this year, given his agents making a lot of trouble on Twitter. Maybe it is. Maybe he goes somewhere else in MLS, and I don't know what that's going to look like. And so then, the move, the move to ahead. Blackburn obviously falls apart, and then uh, despite their appeal, is is not overturned. So right, he's going back to Orlando yes. City, but obviously does not want to be at Orlando City, or at, at the very least was content to move away and is now sort of back there with things being a little bit awkward and potential replacements being signed. Uh, so Joe, if you had to guess. Is it another MLS team? Is it maybe he does end up playing with Orlando until the summer? Like, how do you feel like this might play out? I I still don't think Orlando. That's I know, also probably I, fine. I don't know. I don't know. But if I had to guess, I think Orlando is still probably the most likely outcome, even though they've got Luis Muriel coming from Atalanta, Colombian, 32 years old, has been super good when he's been on the field for Atalanta the last several years and was a part of that really good Gasparini team that played such fun soccer and made some runs like he was a big part of that. He's coming in, and I would assume he's coming in to be the guy. But maybe Duncan McGuire hangs on long enough. Otherwise, I think a move to somewhere else in MLS for, for a short-term loan is, is possible. The last guy on my list very quickly is Brian Gutierrez. The Fire go out and, and break their club transfer fee record, and we'll talk more about this next week, to sign Hugo Kuypers from Belgium. Like, they want him to be a 20-goal scorer. But the problem is they haven't had a, a chance creator that leads to a 20-goal score. Shakiri's not been that guy. He's going to have a decent number of assists. He's going to have a decent number of goals. But he's not really going to do either job, or at least it doesn't seem like he's going to do either job at an elite level in MLS. Can Brian Gutierrez be that guy for the fire? I, I don't know, but I like his game. I think he's smooth on the ball. He can operate anywhere across the attacking midfield line. He, his continued development, especially as it relates to the fire and how they feed their number nine, I think is not just one of the, the most interesting things to watch from an American perspective, but is something that could define the Chicago Fires 2024 season. So Jack McGlynn would be like your your number one. Yep. Uh, in the enthusiasm rankings between one and ten, he is your ten. Yes. Okay. And if I don't know who your one would be, I won't I won't let's say Brad Guzan is your one. <laughs> okay, uh, that's, that's, let, that's spot on, actually. Where is John Tolkien on that uh ranking? John Tolkien is at a six, just above average. Okay. I think he is a good player. I don't know, to be honest, if he has a European ceiling to his game. I think he could go and be like a fine starter in a decent European league, like, you know, maybe Bundesliga, like Joe Scali's kind of done. I think that's sort of his ceiling, but he's a he's a very, very good MLS fullback with upside on the ball and is a great character in the league as well. So I, I kind of hope that he sticks around, at least for now, uh, for for maybe until the summer. Obviously, that's, that's already happened, but he'd be at a six. All right, what about Miles Robinson? Uh, four miles Robinson's good really? at soccer. Like okay. he's going to be good for Cincinnati. I just don't think there's that much. We're going to learn about miles Robinson this year. Uh, and final one, uh, Nkosi Tafari. I will put him also at a six. I am lower on him than it feels like a lot of the other pundits around the league are, but I think he's a good player and he's going to be the centerpiece in the middle of central defense for Nico Estevez in Dallas this year. And I think he's got upside to maybe be one of those overage Olympic level players. So yeah, he's he's somebody I'm absolutely going to be watching to see if he improves this year. Uh, and I, I had my own list, which I've gone through there. I'm just going to keep asking Joe because he's the the expert in these things. If there were an MLS based goalkeeper who could challenge Matt Turner or could be in that conversation midway through the season or at season's end. Is it Drake Callender? Is it uh, somebody else that we saw in the January camp? Uh, I think Patrick Schulte ends up starting that January game. Who, who, if anybody, could you see being in that conversation? 
Yeah, so the the question is sort of is the conversation by 2026 or the conversation by this summer? Because if the question is 2026. By this summer. Okay, all right. Then, then that probably knocks no, Chris Brady off the list. I don't think anybody is is starting over Matt Turner anytime soon. Let me right. just say that. Yeah, but yeah, if yeah. we I'm have an MLS player make the Copa America roster. Right. So okay, I think I think Schulte for the crew. I think Celentano for Cincinnati, and I'd give the edge to Schulte there. Trey Callender is still in that conversation as a, a solid American goalkeeper in this league. I think those guys, maybe I'm missing an obvious one and listeners are screaming at me. Those are the ones that feel like the standouts. Uh, And I I would just, again, give a special shout out to Chris Brady, who I think does have an outside shot at making that 2026 World Cup roster. He's probably the the best, highest ceiling youngster for the fire, even over Gutierrez. But goalkeepers are playing their own sport. Sorry, Chris. So you, you didn't make my exciting list. I think I'm really excited for Drake Callender not necessarily because he could be a U.S. starter, but because I I don't know what's going to happen with Miami. Uh, I know that they're going to continue to somehow be roster compliant, question mark. Uh, but if things don't go well for them and like calendars getting shelled, I feel like he might get a lot of blame. If things are going well, maybe he gets a lot of credit for it. I just think the Miami situation is going to be so interesting this season that him being their starting goalkeeper if he remains their starting goalkeeper, uh, will be another thing to keep an eye on as we yes. get uh, into the start of Major League Soccer. But we're not yet there, Joe. We will be next week when we do our previews. I am going to now uh, end this recording so that I can go assign teams to do the preview. I think I'm going <laughs> reverse alphabetical order. because I think because we don't get promotion relegation, if I just stick with the... the uh, like Because I think what David Goss... Graham Ruffin. Oh, no, maybe it would be different. I forget how we did it last year, but I just don't want to have to preview the same teams over yep. and over again. Yep. Basically, I want to avoid Colorado, even if they're going to be more exciting this no, year. No, no, let's, so, let's be honest. You want to give yourself Vancouver again, Taylor. We get it. We understand. Vancouver diehard always have been, always kinda. will be. Got to, got to, got to. All right, I'm going to go do some uh, MLS assigning, but first, Joe Lowry, thank you for all of your many thoughts on our Americans in Action today. Thank you, Taylor. This show was super fun. I'm glad we yeah, got buddy. to do the two-man game. We don't get to do it too much anymore. This was In great. Your face, Gus. Yeah, and, and Graham and Ryan. Yeah, also Taylor, does, Taylor does two-man <laughs> games with Graham all the time. So it's, I'm not special, but this was fun, and I'm pumped for March. Uh, as am I. Thanks, Joe. Thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>